Well, as you know, we are in our uh, Advent season, a time of anticipation, a time of waiting, uh, anticipating the light of Jesus Christ, of of waiting and anticipating this time of of celebration of Christmas, of the incarnation of God himself in the form of a little baby, the story of God with us, the humble king who will one day return in what we call the second coming, and this too is part of Advent. This is what we celebrate uh, just uh, during this time of year. Not just a time to wait and anticipate, but also a time to respond. And that's why we see things like gifts that are given and different ways that we respond as individuals and, and also as a church. That's also part of the story, and we've been seeing that, and we'll, we'll see that again uh, today. We have an Advent giving project that Brad's going to explain a little bit more later on. But again, another opportunity to respond and to give generously uh, towards and. Part of this project is also to, uh, along the lines of this theme of just strangers in a foreign land, of of inviting others who are new to this city, new to this country. And and some of you are those people who are new to this place. And how is it that we welcome those who are uh, in that category? And so in in this series, we've been looking at four individuals or four groups of people who have each played a significant role uh, in this Christmas story. Each one of them, in some measure, strangers in a foreign land. For different reasons, uh, and we'll see again today, even with the shepherds that we're focusing on, that again, a different reason for why they might be considered that. But each of these people, each of these individuals, who God gave an opportunity to respond, and the question was, are you willing Are you available? Are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to take some risks in order to respond to God revealing himself to you? And in that way, we really believe that that this series and this Advent season is an invitation to all of us of how it is that we will respond to God in Jesus Christ. And so we'll see that, as I said again today. We looked a couple of weeks ago at Mary and being in a very foreign place, this young girl who was given this incredible adventure and this journey of faith that God called her on, who stepped out in amazing obedience and courage to go against the things that would challenge her in that culture and in that context of being uh, not yet wed and now being pregnant uh, by the power of God overwhelming her and to convey this story and all that that entailed. And who had to go to a distant place with her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, and they had to go to Bethlehem for the census. And that was there in this strange place, away from familiar uh, people and family and settings, that she was to have this baby among animals. And this baby born and laid in a feeding trough. Last week, uh, Dale shared here about the story of the Magi, or the wise men. And some of the implications of that story and the importance of, of these gifts and how we not only give gifts, but also it was talked about how important it is that we also receive gifts. And, and just this week, I was reminded again of another story related to that. And many of you know the Fosters, Alan and Colleen, our missionaries down in Panama who served there with Aner and Herlesa. And just recently this fall, they had an opportunity, while well, they had a need actually of, of needing a vehicle because the one that they had was no longer adequate. It didn't serve their purposes. It was giving them all kinds of problems. Uh, the Waunan, the indigenous people that they're there to serve, they became aware of their need. And they went to Alan and Colleen and said, we want to give you a loan. And we want to supply the money to, for you to buy a new vehicle that you need. And in fact, you can repay us 
or you cannot repay us. Uh, in other words, you can just choose to receive it in whatever way that you can. And their initial response, understandably, was, oh, we can't take that. But as they prayed about it and discerned that, they really felt that God was uh, calling them to receive this gift with grace. And as they did that, it brought their relationship with the Waunan people to a whole new level. Because it really said to these people that now you are family, that you embrace us, that you can humble yourself even to receive a gift like this. And so again, another story, a tangible story of the importance of us not only giving gifts during this time of year as part of our response, but also are we willing to humble ourselves to receive gifts from others? And so that too is part of our story and that too is part of our response. I think each one of us can relate to this theme and this idea of being strangers in a foreign land in different ways. And maybe again today you'll see some ways that it connects with you also. So last week I was, uh, I was at our Broadway site and I was leading communion there and just participating in the service there as well. And, and Don was speaking in that setting and uh, he was speaking on, on shepherds, what we're talking about here today. And, and this is uh, one of the beauties of, of multi-site. So I was taking notes furiously as Don had done all my homework for me. And uh, it, it was uh, wonderful. So I'll, I'll share a few things uh, from what Don shared there and also some of their response time, which I think was helpful and instructive also Uh, for us. But let's read our text today and turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 20. And again, returning to the gospel of Luke as we look at this segment of the Christmas story and particularly the portion related to the shepherds. As we think about these individuals and some of who they were and some of the personalities, characteristics, and background that they bring to this story and also what God had called of them to do. Verse 8, Luke chapter 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And then the angels had returned to heaven. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. We've seen in this series that there are many things that we can know about these events as we read the text. And even as there are different gospel accounts that have different writers who wrote about different aspects of the story, there are many things that we can know and verify as we look at the facts in the story and understand what actually happened. But we also know, and we've seen in this series, that there are things that we are left to just wonder about, and we're 
we are left only really to speculate about what else was going on. What was going on in the minds and in the hearts of Mary and Joseph as they went through what they went through. And we get a bit of that, but mostly we are left to wonder. But there are also ways that we can research and find out other aspects of the story by other writings and other research and other historical documents that point us back to that time. And the shepherds are one of those groups of people where we can understand even more about shepherds as we look at other things that have happened uh, and have been written about, even through other uh, resources and so on. So we see in this story that these shepherds were outside the city. They were out in a field somewhere, not too far, it seems, from the city of Bethlehem. And that says that they were guarding their sheep or watching their flock, as shepherds do. They were shepherding. They were taking care of these assets that they had, this resource of sheep that they needed to take care of because sheep tend to run off a lot, or occasionally, because sheep are insufferably curious creatures, and they're also not that bright. And so shepherds have a a role that needs to kind of corral, maintain, and they typically would be in open fields, and so they would have to be there in order to make sure that they stayed close by. And again, to be there to protect their assets. This was their livelihood. And so they need to, to, to be around in order to do that. And then the text states that an angel appeared to them, and that the radiance of God's glory shone around them as this angel started talking to them. And it says that they were understandably frightened or terrified. I think I would be. If you're in the darkness of night and all of a sudden the radiance of God's glory is shining all around you, and there's this angel that is there beginning to talk to you as you think about that, uh, it would be a terrifying moment. I think your heart would start to pound, and the hair in the back of your neck would start to bristle, and you would wonder, what in the world is going on here? Then the angel says this common phrase. The angel says, do not be afraid. And we've talked in the past, and we were reminded even last Sunday night at the children's musical that This most common command in all scripture said about 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the year except leap year, um, how there is this word that is said of do not be afraid, do not be afraid. And that word that that God says through the angel to these shepherds in the same way, don't be afraid, I bring you good news. And the phrase or the word that is used there for good news is, is the one that we get the word gospel from. It's this good news that, that Jesus Christ, this Messiah who has been promised for centuries, this Messiah who the Jewish people had been talking about, anticipating, looking forward to, who the prophets had foretold, who they were waiting and longing for, that was going to come and change everything, that this Messiah was born today. I mean, can you imagine? These people who had been waiting for so long, and, and this angel says, today is the day. This is the day that the fulfillment of all that has been promised is going to come through, and it will change everything. And so these, these shepherds were the ones that were given this news first and foremost, and they were told about this baby, who you'll find in Bethlehem, in the city just not far from here. And the baby will be lying in a manger and wrapped up tight in, in strips of cloth, and you can go there and see this child. And then it says in this text, again, that suddenly there is a host of angels or a host of heaven's armies of angels. And this is a lot of angels. 
And if they weren't terrified before when there was one angel, I can only imagine how terrified they would be now when there is this host, an army of angels that is now there, and these angels are singing. And they are declaring these words of God and giving praise to God, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And this moment of worship and this declaration that is happening there in the darkness of the night, which is no longer so dark, in the middle of this field somewhere, and these shepherds are the ones who are receiving this and hearing this. And again, as you think about that, and as you put yourself, if you put yourself in that place, for those of us who've grown up on the farm and you, you think of those dark nights in harvest when you're out in a field all by yourself and all you see are lights and it's silence and stillness, you can understand a little bit more of some of what these shepherds might have been experiencing as God's light broke into that darkness and declared these things to these shepherds and said, today's the day when everything changes. Incredible story. But now they have a dilemma. Because now what, what do they do? How do they respond? Where do they, what do they do with this invitation? Do they actually go or do they stay? They can't take their sheep with them. So it would mean that they would have to abandon their sheep, leave them unprotected, unshepherded, and there was no guarantee that their sheep would be there when they return for a whole variety of reasons, whether they wander off or whether they're stolen or taken or whatever the case may be, but they have this invitation, but now they have a decision to make. What do we do? Do we actually go or do we stay and do the responsible thing and just stay here with our flock and do what we're supposed to do? And I wonder if it's not unlike when Peter and John were encountering Jesus and he said, you know what, leave your nets, leave your occupation, and I want you to come with me and become fishers of men. And so often, when we encounter the living God, in whatever ways that we encounter him, there's that invitation to risk. There's that invitation to abandon some things. And there's an invitation to trust God more than we trust the things of this world. And the shepherds had that very invitation at this moment where they were called to go and see. But they had this dilemma now of what do we do? How do we respond to this call to risk? These things that we guard so closely. And they very quickly chose that they needed to go and see this child in the fulfillment of 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 the promise. Now you would think that after they went, that they would return rather quickly to their sheep. You would think that their responsibility would kick in and that after they had gone and, and seen this child and, and worshipped the child and, and had experienced that, that, they would kind of go right back to their sheep and, and quickly find out if they're all okay and take care of anything. But it doesn't seem to say that in the story. In fact, they, they do something somewhat different because it says that they went there, they hurried to the village, they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. It says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened what the angel had said to them and about this child. I don't know what they did. Um, And it says that all who heard them, who heard the shepherd's story, were astonished. So somehow, and to some people, these shepherds went out and they they had to tell their testimony. We're going to hear some testimonies today. But this testimony of, here's what God has done in my life. Here's what God has changed in me. Here's what I have seen uh, of a bigger picture of who God is. And it's remarkable. 
And you need to see this God. You need to understand this story. And so these shepherds, they, they go around, and I don't know if they went door to door. I don't know if they went and told their family. It doesn't say any of that. It just says that they, they had to go and they told everyone about what they saw. And that people were astonished for a variety of reasons probably for what they heard these shepherds tell them. Their testimony. Their testimony. It's kind of like grandparents with a new baby, right? They can't help but tell you and pull out their phone and show pictures, right? And some of you are those grandparents, right? And they have to just show you picture upon picture and look at this and then you respond politely and you go, oh yeah, nice, you know, it's a baby. Um, And they are like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, this is the most beautiful child that has ever been created in the history of the earth. Why aren't you more in awe and worshiping almost? Like, okay, like, seriously? Like, look at the eyes. They look like mine. Right? And so I think, I wonder if it's like that. Like, so the grandparents thing, and, and so the shepherds, they go out and they start to tell this story. And then they're telling, they can't help themselves. We've seen this baby that has changed everything. I think it's quite remarkable that these shepherds were the ones who were told first. That these shepherds were the ones who were called to leave their occupation to take some really great risks, to leave their unsecured assets and to go and see the king. They were brought into this story, this greatest story that was ever anticipated, and they were invited to sacrifice, to risk, and to go. When you think of the shepherds, we need to understand that at best, these shepherds were very ordinary Joes. They were very ordinary people, probably the most ordinary of all people in that culture. And I always find it interesting, in, often, especially in, in the United States and presidential campaigns, it seems like the candidates bend over backwards to find the absolute most ordinary Joe to sort of endorse their campaign. You know, average Joe, Joe Sixpack, Lunch Bucket Joe, John Q. Public, whatever you want to call them, Joe the Plumber, whatever the term describes. But to find somebody who's just sort of represents the very average, average person who will endorse this political campaign. And that, at best, is what these shepherds were, was a very average individual. And we'll look a little bit more at what they might be at worst in just a minute. The image, though, of shepherd and the occupation of shepherd, we need to understand, is one that has a long and respectable history with the Jewish people. It was absolutely infused throughout their culture, throughout their history, and throughout even their theology of God and how they understood God. Abraham, Moses, David, all of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith that these people knew about and that told their stories, all were shepherds. And so they understood the shepherd culture. They understood the shepherd imagery. They, they talked about it. They understood even their view of God as shepherd. And if you look at uh, Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 80, verse 1, this prayer of Asaph, again, just gives you just a glimpse of this, where the psalmist says, Please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock. And we know that that language is there over and over and over again. In Ezekiel, The prophet Ezekiel and the Lord speaks through him and says this in verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. 
I'll bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. And yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. So again, just another example of so many examples of where God is pictured as a shepherd. And here God himself declaring this image of shepherd and all of the things that the shepherding entails. In the New Testament, we see that as well in Jesus. And just listen to these words where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. And the hired hand runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. And just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And the point I want to make is that throughout scripture, throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, this, this image and this idea of God as a shepherd is infused throughout the writings, throughout the language. And so these people would understand and would know this story, much more so than we would today because we're not as familiar with that occupation with shepherds. But a shepherd is one who protects, who brings the sheep to feeding grounds, who finds fresh water so that they can drink, who corrects and disciplines and makes sure that they stay on the right path and don't wander too far where there are dangers. Shepherd is also one who judges because the shepherd knows his own sheep. And in the other direction, the sheep also know the voice of their shepherd. And so this language and this imagery is throughout Scripture about the shepherd, the good shepherd of who God is. So these shepherds that we find in Luke's gospel weren't strangers from another nation. They weren't strangers who were there and who were kind of aliens in this land who had come from another place. This was, this was home to them. This is where they worked and lived. This is where they uh, hung out. They knew. They were locals. They probably had family there. But, but they were strangers in a different way because they were quite likely marginalized people. As I said earlier, average Joe at best. And possibly even maybe worse where they were seen as those who are marginalized in society and seen as a little bit of the roughnecks of their culture. You know, research shows that there are strong differences between uh, farming cultures and herding cultures. Uh, farming cultures where, where people are growing crops, planting crops and so on, is, is typically a place where uh, farmers are seen as more peaceable people because their crops aren't quite as threatened as easily. It's, it's hard to steal a corn crop or a wheat crop when it's planted in the field. It's also the fact that, that for much of the year, there's actually no crop there. And so in many of the farming cultures, as research has shown, the, the farming kind of culture breeds this more of a peaceable kind of people, more trusting, less violent. The herding cultures over the years, and as people have researched herding cultures, it, it tends to kind of lead to a different kind of people because their livestock are more vulnerable they have to be more protective. It seems like their livestock are vulnerable 24-7 and 365 days a year, especially back centuries ago. 
when they didn't have the technologies that we have today. And so the herding cultures were people who were more suspicious of others. They were more protective. At times had to be and were more violent kind of people because of the threats that were there to their livelihood, to their assets, to their livestock, either sheep or cattle or, or something else. So some commentators suggest that the shepherds were kind of the rough characters of a city or of a region. The ones that kind of grew up on the streets, so to speak. And we don't know that for sure. But at, as I said earlier, at best they were the average Joe, but at worst, or whatever the case may be, they were marginalized and lowly and seen as the lower level of society, people to be suspicious of. I think for each one of us, or for many of us maybe, we can feel marginalized in one way or another. And it was interesting because last week in the setting at Broadway, Don had a little bit of Q&A and asked people there, who are the marginalized in our culture today? And here are some of the responses that came back from the group. And people said, you know, uh, the police. So you think about what's going on in our news today and the things that are kind of coming at our police, you know, often they're seen as marginalized in one way or another. Uh, Politicians, uh, stereotyped in a whole variety of different ways and and often marginalized and feeling alone. Stay-at-home moms, seniors, people who are not understood fully. And so those were some of the examples that were given. And then other examples were given even in the Christian setting, like even in the context of the church. Who are the marginalized even in the church? Might be some of those that previously mentioned, but also people with mental illness. Maybe even new believers, people who don't know the Bible stories or understand that was another suggestion uh, that was given. Uh, What about single adults over a certain age when you start to feel like, well, maybe I don't know if I belong or those who've gone through marriage struggles or who are divorced. I mean, all kinds of examples were given last week, which I think are helpful examples of how many of us might, in one way or another, feel marginalized, kind of on the outside, wondering if we actually belong. But the point of all this is that as we read this story in Luke chapter 2, and as we get a picture of these shepherds, we need to understand that God is breaking in And breaking through some of these stereotypes and some of the the baggage that maybe the shepherds have and some of the baggage that maybe we have as well too. And why they were feeling, uh, why they were guarding their sheep in the way that they were doing. I want to leave us with two applications and mainly two questions. And first of all, do you maybe feel marginalized or on the fringes in one way or another? Wondering if you belong. You need to know that, that Jesus comes for all not just uh, not all respond or benefit from his coming but he comes for each one god is involved also not just with the special or great but god is involved with all people and this is a story for all time which i think is what makes it so significant that it was first told to the shepherds it's a story and a proclamation that is for all people whether you feel marginalized on the outside or whatever the case may be But the story of God who comes in humility to the humble, to the average Joes, even the outcasts. And the second question I would ask each one of us is, how much of the hurting culture is part of our lives? When you think of our world today and you think of how much of our lives is protecting what is ours, whether we're protecting our borders, protecting our homes, our jobs, our status, our reputation, our wealth, our assets, whatever the case may be, it seems to be the ethic of today. 
this kind of herding ethic, which can even move over into a kind of a hoarding ethic, but where we're always protecting, always putting up boundaries, always putting up fences, always kind of tense, watchful, suspicious, not trusting. How much are we willing to risk to encounter the king? I think in a very real sense, the story of the shepherds is our story. And again, it's this invitation to each one of us told by God to risk and to journey again, to know that you belong in this story. That this story is for you, no matter how you feel. And that this story calls you to respond in one way or another. And it challenges the assets that we constantly protect. And it says, how will we respond to the King of kings and the Lord of lords that came in humility as this little baby? What what will we value more? We can respond in so many ways. In obedience, worship, risk, praise, or turning away and dismissing it outright. I want to invite you to stand as a congregation. And I uh, want to read as a closing prayer for us a very well-known prayer of Psalm 23 that is another picture of the Lord God as our shepherd. And I want to just pray, read this prayer and, and pray through some things in this prayer for us as part of how we respond today. And I would invite you to respond in the quiet of your heart as I pray as well too. Let me just read this text. Lord, the Lord is my shepherd and I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams, and he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me, and your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies, and you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you are a godly and good shepherd. And thank you that you brought this incredible message of the gospel, of the good news to these lowly shepherds. And that you invite us to respond just as you invited them to respond about what are the things that we protect and value. And also to recognize that that you come for each one of us, for those who feel marginalized, alone, misunderstood, that nobody cares, whatever the case may be, that you are the shepherd who comes along, and even as it says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I have all that I need. All that I need. You strengthen us, you guide us, you shepherd us, and we thank you and we praise you for that. And even as it says in this text, Lord, we thank you that your goodness and your unfailing love pursues us, all the days of our lives. Thank you for that truth, Lord. And I pray that you would work in the lives of each one here and that you would help us to know you as good shepherd and that we would respond during this time of year in ways that your spirit is calling us to respond. How do we respond to the king? We worship you, Lord. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.